Imagine for a moment that there is indeed a multiverse, with each universe, including our own, being represented as a bubble sitting comfortably at the bottom of a pot of boiling water. Our universe is formed, eventually rises to the top of the water, and then... It's gone, at a seemingly random time and without warning. You're probably asking yourself, what does this have to do with today's topic? Well, while some of you might be disappointed that we're not about to make a plate of pasta, I promise that everything will make sense in time. While false vacuum decay is a theoretical concept, should it occur, an outward expansion at the speed of light from a single point would fundamentally alter everything and anything within the universe that it collides with. Yes, that includes you and me. Will we be wiped out in this scenario? Maybe. But one thing is certain. The universe as you know it, and everything in it, will cease to exist. Today, we're taking a brief look into false vacuum decay. And after that, I'll tell you the story that has been coined the Pascagoula abduction. Let's see if these topics make you dread the cosmos. Before we get into the main event, let's first consider the other possible end-of-everything scenarios that have been hypothesized over the years. Rest assured, each of these will get their own episode, so for now, let's keep these descriptions short and sweet. In absolutely no order, there's the Big Rip, also known as the Rending of Space-Time, the Heat Death, which is the expansion of the universe to such a degree that it's just a cold and empty void. And the Big Crunch. Think along the lines of everything going back to a singularity. A reversal of the universe's expansion that started with the Big Bang. Well, something I heard about and decided to look into also falls into the whole end of everything theme. And it's called False Vacuum Decay. This happens to be my favorite of the scenarios, and it's particularly terrifying. So, let's jump into it. To properly understand vacuum decay, let's first do a quick lesson on the Higgs field that permeates the universe. You see, the Higgs field varies in strength based on its potential. A nice visual to help paint this picture is to imagine a ball rolling along a track. The higher the ball is on the track, the more energy it has. This Higgs potential determines whether the universe is in a true vacuum or a false vacuum. I get it, your next question is probably, well, what are these states exactly? To paint a picture of both, let's use a different visual this time with a valley as a setting. 
A true vacuum is stable, the lowest possible energy state. In the valley, a true vacuum can be visualized as a person sitting still on the level ground of the valley's middle. Now, a false vacuum, on the other hand, is considered metastable, since it's not exactly stable, but is not decaying either. This can be represented by you sitting in a divot on the wall of the valley. You're not actively rolling down the valley wall, but a little push could send you tumbling. So why does any of this matter? Well, a metastable universe poses two problems. The first is that, in theory, if you were to create something that emits enough energy, you could push a portion of the universe into a true vacuum. This would create a bubble of sorts, containing the true vacuum, that would expand in all directions at the speed of light. The second is that according to quantum mechanics, in theory, a particle can tunnel through the barrier separating one region for another. This is called quantum tunneling. This would also apply to the vacuum state, meaning that a random quantum fluctuation could yield a particle that is suddenly in the true vacuum, once again causing sudden disaster. In short, by pushing something over the threshold into the territory of a true vacuum, you're basically dooming the entire universe to some sort of apocalyptic fate, with absolutely no means of stopping or escaping it. This whole theory is something that has become somewhat popular, considering that measurements of the Higgs boson seem to point to the fact that our universe is indeed metastable, meaning it exists in a false vacuum. Now, that's terrifying, right? Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it gets worse. Let's look at what would happen in the hypothetical scenario where the vacuum does decay. If the vacuum decays, the boundaries that make up the bubble of true vacuum would expand in all directions at the speed of light. This would have insane amounts of energy. So the first and probably least terrifying outcome involves the complete incineration of everything in the universe that is touched by this expanding bubble. Think back to the example I used in the intro of a bubble popping in a pot of boiling water. Here one second gone another. See you later. The second involves a complete reshaping of literally everything ever. You see, different vacuum states have different constants of nature. So, by having a bubble of true vacuum expanding and overtaking our false vacuum universe, the basic structures of matter, chemistry, and even life can become fundamentally altered. It gets even worse. In 1980, theoretical physicists Sidney Coleman and Frank DeLucia calculated that if a bubble of true vacuum would emerge, it would immediately suffer total gravitational collapse. They state, This is disheartening. 
The possibility that we are living in a false vacuum has never been a cheering one to contemplate. Vacuum decay is the ultimate ecological catastrophe. In a new vacuum, there are new constants of nature. After vacuum decay, not only is life as we know it impossible, but so is chemistry as we know it. However, one could always draw stoic comfort from the possibility that perhaps, in the course of time the new vacuum would sustain, if not life as we know it, at least some creatures would be capable of knowing joy. This possibility has now been eliminated. That last bit comes from the fact that to truly understand what could and possibly would happen in a bubble of true vacuum, we would need a theory and model that completely describes the multiverse, if there is one. Since we don't have that yet, we can't be certain of anything, although we do know it likely wouldn't be all good vibes and happy thoughts. Thankfully, we're probably safe. From this at least. Although I can't speak for your safety when it comes to things like rogue black holes, gamma ray bursts, and other terrifying and apocalyptic phenomena out there in the void of space. This is because current models predict that metastable universes have a much longer lifespan than the current age of the universe. Meaning, if this were to happen, it would be some future person's problem, and not yours. Beyond this, Energy output by the Big Bang and subsequent expansion of the universe was originally thought to be enough to push the early universe into a true vacuum state. Remember that high energy event I mentioned earlier in the episode? Well, pretty much that. The thing is though, we're still here, meaning that this inflation either didn't output enough energy to tip the universe over the edge, that inflation may not have happened at all, or that the universe is more stable than previously thought. So you can sleep easy tonight knowing that you're more likely to die from a falling vending machine than to simply be Thanos snapped out of existence. But beware, because if this were to happen, there'd be nothing you could do to stop it, meaning one second you could be at your computer enjoying Baldur's Gate 3 over a cup of pumpkin spice latte, and the next, you and everything and everyone could- And now, it's time for the story. It was the evening of October 11th, 1973. Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson had just arrived at one of their favorite fishing spots, located near an old shipyard in Pascagoula, Mississippi. The men quickly set up their equipment and cast off, eager to catch some fish and return home after a successful trip. However, upon catching a catfish, the night went from a standard fishing trip to a terrifying night of horror.
I was just getting ready to get some more bait when I heard a kind of zipping sound. This is what Hickson told the Washington Post two years later in 1975. It was at this point where both men wheeled around and looked up to see something straight out of a science fiction movie. I looked up and saw a blue flashing light. Calvin turned around too. We saw a 30 foot long object with a little dome on top. The craft was described as being roughly the shape of a football, and in addition to having what was identified as a little dome, apparently featured two portholes. Obviously shocked by what appeared before them, Parker and Hickson's awe and eventual terror would swell even further, because seconds after appearing, a door on the craft opened, with a blinding white light radiating out from it. It was then that three creatures emerged from the light, effortlessly gliding towards the terrified men. They were described as being small, no more than five feet tall, and were completely gray in color, with wrinkled skin and pincer-like claws for hands. They also appeared to lack any sort of neck, with their heads connecting directly to their shoulders. What could be considered a nose simply jutted out from their faces and came to a distinct point. For a mouth, only a slit under the nose could be seen. Their arms were proportionally longer to their bodies than those seen on humans, and their legs remained together, with their feet resembling that of an elephant's. That's a lot to take in, and it is a sight to behold for sure. This strange and frankly disturbing display unfolding before the men shocked and confused them, with Hickson noting, If they had a more human likeness, it wouldn't have shocked me so. The entire body was wrinkled and had a grayish color. There could have been eyes, but the area above the nose was so wrinkled, I, I just couldn't tell. Initially, the men had the impression that what floated toward them were actually robotic in nature. That doesn't exactly explain the wrinkles, but whatever. Parker was immediately grabbed, while Hickson, still trying to process what was unfolding before him, noticed that once the creatures had touched him, his entire body became paralyzed. They were then effortlessly floated inside the craft. And they just glided me into that thing. You know, I just guide somebody. All of us moved like we were floating through the air. When I got in there, they had me, you know, they just kind of had me there. There were no seats, no chain. They just moved me around. I couldn't resist them. I just floated. Felt no sensation, no pain. They kept me in that position a little while. Then they'd raise me back up. What followed was an apparent physical examination from an unknown machine. Hickson described this machine as follows. It wasn't like an x-ray machine. There ain't no way to describe it. It looked like an eye, like, like a big eye. It had some sort of attachment. It moved. 
It looked like a big eye, and it went all over my body. Up and down. And then they left me. The men were allegedly isolated in separate rooms, with the machine performing the examination while the creatures left, only returning to collect Hickson and bring him back to Parker outside the craft. It was then that Hickson had noticed that Parker was visibly terrified, shaking profusely. The only thing I remember is that kid, Calvin, just standing there. I've never seen that sort of fear on a man's face, as I saw on Calvin's. It took me a while to get him back to his senses. Both men had a distinctive puncture mark on one of their arms. Before departing in their craft, the creatures, in an apparent display of telepathy, left the men with one final message. We are peaceful. We meant you no harm. Obviously quite shaken up and visibly terrified, the men immediately fled the area, desperate to report their experiences to the authorities and seek some sort of help. Initially, the sheriff's investigators chalked up the story to a couple of men who had a little too much to drink and had simply hallucinated a fantastical series of events. They interviewed both men and then left them in the interview room with a tape recorder covertly left behind, in an attempt to catch the men loosening up and revealing that they had been, in fact, acting. However, this would not come to pass. The men continued talking about how frightening the whole experience was, with Parker even breaking down at this time. This exchange baffled and shocked local authorities, with Jackson County Sheriff's Captain Glenn Ryder telling the Washington Post, we did everything we knew to try and break their stories. If they were lying to me, they should be in Hollywood. Once word spread of the encounter, it became national news. News outlets and journalists flooded the area, jamming cameras and microphones into Parker and Hickson's still-shocked faces. A UFO investigator had even reached out to the men, confirming their story. They even passed a polygraph test to determine whether or not it was a hoax. Of course, as you'll come to find in these alien stories, this in no way stopped the skeptics from trying to diminish their experience. Many chalked it up to Hickson experiencing a vivid form of sleep paralysis, with Parker being a highly suggestible individual. While I guess this is definitely a possibility, it absolutely does not account for the puncture mark on their arms, or the incredibly distressed state both men remained in well after the event had taken place. Surely, if this was just a traumatic bout of sleep paralysis, the men would have come to their senses and recovered, rather than fleeing and pleading with the local authorities for help. Hickson was well known around the community at the time, and felt more comfortable relaying the series of events to all who would listen. He did television interviews and even published a book in 1983. Parker, on the other hand, was so afraid that whatever had captured them had infected him with some sort of alien pathogen that he actually bathed in bleach upon getting home from the sheriff's department. 
Following these events, Parker even left town and found work elsewhere. He was so averse to the notoriety that this experience brought him that when one would recognize him in the field, he would simply quit and find work somewhere else. This revelation skews the events more into the realm of an individual trying to forget and move on from something unexplained and horrifying, rather than trying to cash in. Nevertheless, Parker eventually emerged from his state of apprehension and also published a book in 2018. What adds a fair bit of credibility to, at the very least, the UFO sighting is that in March of 2019, as the city was discussing plans for a marker of the site, many new witnesses emerged. They told the Mississippi Clarion leader that on the night everything occurred, they themselves had witnessed a UFO, with flashing blue lights floating up and down the Pascagoula River. Maria Blair, one of the witnesses, had told the Clarion leader, This story is very true. That's what's bothered me for 45 years. It's been on my mind for 45 years. So, what exactly happened to Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker on the night of October the 11th, 1973? Did they truly come face to face with the unknown, being abducted and examined by extraterrestrials? Or are the skeptics correct in their assertion that it was nothing more than an extreme bout of sleep paralysis? We may never know. However, with the men's genuine fear and confusion carrying on for years, Coupled with the new testimonies from countless witnesses of a similar craft flying around the exact area the experience occurred, it goes without saying that it's entirely accurate to state that the Pascagoula abduction remains one of the most credible abduction events and UFO sightings in recent memory. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have suggestions for topics or have an alien story to tell, shoot me an email at spacecanuckinspace at gmail.com. I'm the Space Canuck. This is Dread the Cosmos. And until next time, happy stargazing. <laughs>